Hello and welcome to episode four of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaudet. This podcast is made possible through the resources at East Hampton Media. Well, Monday, April 19th, 2021 is Patriots Day in Massachusetts, and that usually means it's Marathon Monday. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, the route from Hopkinton to Boston is once again quiet this Patriots Day, with the Boston Marathon having been postponed to take place on Monday, October 11th. Registration for this year's marathon opens up this week on Tuesday, April 20th, so I thought this would be an appropriate time to have a podcast in which the focus is on the Boston Marathon. The Boston Athletic Association has set a limit of 20,000 runners for this year's marathon, down from the typical number of 30,000, so the qualifying time required to make the field will be faster than usual this year. So to any of you listeners who are, are applying, I have my fingers crossed for you. My goal for this podcast was to feature a conversation with someone with years of experience running Boston. And I was fortunate to record a conversation with the perfect person, Craig Stokowski. Craig is a member of the Empire One Running Club and ran 21 consecutive Boston marathons from 1997 to 2017. Craig has tremendous insight on how the race has evolved over the years. So if you ever see him at the Elks after a Thursday night race, feel free to chat with him about Boston over a beer. In addition to his own running, Craig coached high school cross country for 15 years. But before I get to my conversation with Craig, I'd like to say that I've really enjoyed talking with folks for the podcast thus far. For me, I think my favorite part occurs after our recorded conversations, when we spend another half hour or so catching up. After I recorded a conversation with Craig for this podcast, I spent almost an hour chatting with Craig and his wife, Sonia, who's also an accomplished runner in her own right. And Sonia appears briefly on this podcast. It will be great when road races finally return in earnest later this summer, when all of us runners can get together with each other and catch up. So hopefully you enjoy these podcasts as much as I do. And it's not my plan for these podcasts to be all about just guys running. I plan to get the perspective of women runners in future podcasts. I believe that everyone has an interesting story to tell, and I hope to help them tell that. So stay tuned after my conversation with Craig for a rundown of local running events. In last week's podcast, I mentioned races in Northern Connecticut, and afterwards, I received some info from Jeffrey Oldmixon about a group called Run 169, who are a group of runners that aspire to run a race in every town in the state of Connecticut. I'll have more info on that later in the podcast. Now, here's Craig. Hi, and now I'd like to introduce my friend and Empire One Running Club teammate, Craig Stokowski. Craig ran 21 consecutive Boston marathons from 1997 to 2017. Craig now lives in Blandford, a nice rural town. Nice to see you, Tim. I know we haven't seen each other in person in quite a while, but yeah, it's good to, good to see people in the running community, at least online or through uh, email or some kind of contact. It's been kind of a, you know, as you know, the past year has been kind of interesting, but. Uh, um, but anyway, so it's, it's great to see you also, um, to chat with you. Uh, and so be before we get talking about running, 
I have to ask Craig about the chickens. I, I think you have chickens, or maybe your daughter has chickens. Well, my daughter has chickens, and uh, yeah, so my daughter and son-in-law moved in with me a couple of years ago. They sold their house and were looking for another house. So in the meantime, they they brought their eighteen chickens and their two dogs, and you know my grandson and moved in with me for a couple of years while they were looking for another place to live and just recently bought a house and moved out but uh, I asked my daughter what kind of chickens they were because they're they're free-range chickens organic feed and the whole thing she was selling the eggs and, you know but they're, they're they're fun they greet me in the driveway when I come home from work and everything so she has uh, buff orpingtons barred rock and cinnamon queens are the type of wow. chickens she has so. But, so the, yeah. the reason I asked about the chickens is because I own chickens as well. I have, uh, we, we have three and they're Americanas, but I've, we've made actually quite an investment in um, between the chicken run and the coop and oh, yeah. <laughs> quite yeah. an investment for, for three chickens. They, she has little, uh, little capes for them. <laughs> that's where they get the word cape on from her. <laughs> they, they wear these little capes, I guess, to keep them warm and She's got little blinders for them so they don't peck each other or something. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like uh, there's a science behind it. But. Wow. But uh, anyway, enough about chickens. Uh, you know, I was just up at the, um, the Elks last Thursday night. I, um, I stopped by uh, for the, to see the, um, the Thursday night time trials from oh, okay. at, at, up at uh, Holyoke Ashley Reservoir. And uh, it was nice to see some of the uh, runners there. So. Uh, hopefully yeah, we can do I more of that. We miss, miss the races. I'm sure pretty much everybody else does too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I talked to um, Dick Arsenal. Dick hopes that um, the racing will resume again. Uh, the normal racing will resume again this summer. So uh, by hopefully July, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, sounds but, good. Yeah, but 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 anyway. Um, so uh, let's talk about running. Um, so uh, like I said, you, you know you. Your first Boston Marathon was in 1997. Uh, so, how long had you been running before that? It, it, was it something you, you were you a high school uh, track star? Uh, actually, actually, the year I graduated high school back in the mid 70s, uh, the jogging boom was just starting out. And I decided, you know, I didn't run at all in school, didn't play sports or anything really. But, uh, as soon as I graduated high school, it's like the next, the next, you know, that year, that fall, I started running and doing the jogging thing. You know, and you basically, you didn't have really running shoes. You had, you know, sneakers basically back then. Yeah, I remember. That's, that's when I started and I, I got up to like five or six miles you know, at a time at one point. But, you know, that went on for probably a year or so on and off. Yeah, I remember that time period. I think it was Jim Fix had had writ, he wrote a book uh, about running, and of course that was when Bill Rogers was running, you know, winning Boston marathons in, in yeah, the late seventies. And, and I, I really didn't know all that much about you know other than what you see on TV on the news and things. I said, well, you know, I was looking to get into a little better shape, so I figured I'd give it a try. So that was like in the seventies. So. How did you ramp up to the point where you ran a marathon in, in Boston, 97? I presume you ran marathons before that. Well, actually, uh, so the, the, the jogging thing started, you know, like I said, in the mid-70s. And then it, it took a nosedive. I went on vacation to the Cape for a week with some friends and 
you know, I ran once during the week and then, and then basically I took a 10 year hiatus from running <laughs> and, you know, did, didn't start up again, you know, until, uh, you know, the, well, mid to late eighties, like in 1987 or so. And just as a way to, you know, get into a little better shape because I, you know, I thought that I could use a little exercise and that seemed like a good way to do it. So I started doing that and uh, got a little more involved in, uh, Know, looking at uh, races and you know, I figured, well, maybe I'll try one someday. But uh, my first race was the Noble Hospital 5K in Westfield. I've done that. Yeah, that, that was my first 5K. And that, you know, that was quite an effort and I was sore after and everything that, that comes along with that. But uh, basically what I looked for in the early days was charity races and, you know, for a cause because I'm not really doing it for myself at that point. Just a little bit, just to stay in shape, but, you know, just combine the effort with uh, something that'll do some good for somebody else. And, you know, Noble was, was a good start, I think. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Eventually I ran into the, uh, the reservoir races, which used to be at, uh, was that McClinton, not uh, the reservoir up by Mount Tom. I can't, the, the name escapes me right at the moment, but it's Whiting's Whiting. Yeah. Whiting reservoir. That's where they used to run the, the running club races. And I eventually got into those and started doing those uh, pretty much every week. And, you know, the, the rest, as far as racing goes, is history because I just kept up with it since then. Right. But then um, how did you ramp up from, you know, 5Ks five, and five 10Ks to a marathon? marathon? Well, that's, that's, that's funny because, I you know, I ran 5Ks for a number of years and eventually worked my way up to 5 miles and 10Ks and going to the running club meetings and talking to people like Dan Toll and, you know, these guys back in the early nineties that were, you know, just talking about, you know, going to run marathons. And I was like, why would you want to run that far? You know, 26 miles, my God, you know, it's 10 K was like kind of my limit uh, at that point, but it took me a couple of years. Eventually I worked up to, uh, you know, 10 milers, the Jones race and half marathons and, I said, well, you know, I'll give it a, give it a shot. And I, I used to train with like Dan and, you know, a number of other people from back in the day, the, the Buffums, uh, and Aruba and, uh, well, Mike, Mike Sheldon was around then and Gordon Bates and a lot of the, a lot of the old timers in the running club from back then. But those are kind of my training partners. Cool. cool. So, so now I'd like to go through, um, you know, the, um, you, you ran 21 marathons, Boston marathons from 97 to 2017. And so I'd like to go through the period chronologically and talk about, in your view, how the races changed over the years and highlight some significant events. So, so in the early 90s, you know, the average number of runners who entered the Boston Marathon was around 9,000. Yeah. But then in, in 96, it was the 100th anniversary of the race. So... For that year, the, the officials relaxed their qualifying standards, and nearly 39,000 runners entered that year. Right. The following year, 97, was um, the, quali the qualifying standards were restored. In 97, that was the, the year of your first Boston Marathon. In that year, about 10,000 runners entered. So was there any special event was, that motivated you to, to register for the Boston Marathon back in 97? Well, I actually, my first Boston, I ran as a bandit. It was the 99th Boston back in, uh, 
Well, would that be uh, 95? 95, yeah. 95. So I ran with, I think Sherry Buffum was there and there was like, you know, maybe four or five of us that ran. But, you know, back then you could run as a bandit and they actually, you know, would give you water and wouldn't like try to drag you off the course or scoring you and you could cross the finish line even though you didn't get a medal. But, uh, you know, it was something that I had run uh, starting my first marathon was, I believe, down at the Cape. Uh, 93. And I had to run a few marathons, you know, before I ran the 99th Boston as a bandit. And that was kind of an incentive. I, I knew I wasn't going to get in for the 100 naturally, but uh, uh, a couple friends of mine did. And, you know, that was, that was enjoyable for them, but it, it was kind of an incentive to try for it and, and do it on my own accord. And, uh, I was training and I was taking care of the kids in the morning. I had a treadmill, so I was lucky with that and could run through the winter in the house. But, you know, getting the kids ready for the school you know, in the morning and I, I would split my time up running on the treadmill three miles at a time and then get one child off to school and then, you know, run another three or four miles, you know, after the first kid was gone and then, you know, <laughs> run some more. So I do six or seven miles at a clip a few times a week and uh, one thing I always did is run at my marathon goal pace. And, you know, that, that seemed to work pretty well for me. And, you know, with the time, time constraints I had and everything that it worked out pretty well. So I was lucky in that regard, but. Uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, that's, I generally try to run pretty close to my goal pace as well. Although if you, um, you know, if you read certain, uh, running advice, you, you'll, they, they recommend that you can run, train at a, at a pace a, a little slower than your goal pace. But um, I think there's lots of different schools of thought on that. Yeah, well, there's a lot to be said for muscle memory, I think. So yeah. if you're, if you're, you know, your mind is gone in the middle of a race and you know, your body knows what to do and it can kind of carry you through it. And I, I, there's a lot of truth to that, I believe, because I've done I, it. I, I believe it. So... How did it feel turning on the Boylston Street during that your first Boston Marathon? Uh, well, that's that's always no matter what race year it was, it's always the same feeling. When you pull that corner, you, you pull the first corner, you take a right, and then you take the left, and you just see the finish line way down the street. But you're taking that left by the hinds, and you're going up that little bit of a hill, and you know it's just you get like a chill and. A, yeah, it's pretty darn exciting, you know, and it seems like that finish line is so far off, but, you know, it really isn't after doing, you know, what you just did for three or four hours, and right. you know, it's, it's pretty exhilarating. Sure is. Um, so then, um, so that, we, that, your first race was 97, and then the field size then was around 10,000 runners, and, but, but from 97 to 2003, the, the field size grew, and then in 2003, it was, it was capped at 20,000 runners. Right. But during that time period, you know, your finishing times were excellent. Um, and I looked it up uh, online. Your, your fastest time was uh, three hours and 13 minutes. And that was in the year 2000. So was there anything special about that race or any other races during that time period? That I think it's you know, probably good weather and a little bit of luck. And, you know, maybe, maybe it was trained a little better that year but you know a lot of things you can go into one of these feeling great and feel like you're going to conquer the world and have a lousy day and a lot of the 
good races I've had, I felt lousy at the beginning and didn't feel like I was going to have a good day and ended up having a great day. So you never really know. You can't sometimes predict unless you have a lot of natural talent and you're like extremely well trained. And But, you know, it's, no, that's true. I don't typically run like that. So. Yeah, that's been my experience, too. I think you, it's hard to predict how well you're going to do. Um, and the weather was a big factor as well. We're going to talk about the weather in a minute. But um, so progressing through the uh, chronology of all your, your marathons here. Uh, so in the earlier marathons, the t starting time was noon. But then in 2006, the, the field was getting larger and it was divided into two starting waves. Uh, 10,000 runners began at the traditional noon start time with the remaining 12,000 runners starting at 1230. So in addition to the two wave start, the BAA for the first time also scored the event by net time or chip time. Uh, now, any particular memories of, you know, the, the event? Were you, do you remember what wave you were in? Or? Uh, for the most part, I think it was in the first wave. And as the years gone, you know, went by, I ended up actually getting a little slower and moving back in the pack. And, you know, but uh, I remember I, I liked it better when the crowd was a lot smaller because the freedom was a lot better back then. You could basically walk into Athletes Village and, you know, you could make it in through the porta potty line in like no time at all, really. And you could walk into the massage, get a nice quick massage and, you know, the lines weren't too bad, but much different nowadays uh, when, when you go there. There's, there's just so many people. Oh gosh, now the Athletes Village, now it's, it's just jam-packed with people. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a city. It's a city. It really is. Um, One of the most memorable things was after 9-11, the security that they had in place after, after that. And, you know, they had uh, people with automatic weapons on the rooftops and radiation detectors and all kinds of, you know, security everywhere. And it was, uh, I remember a girl didn't want to wait for the, uh, the porta potty line and she ran off into the woods and that was like the wrong thing to do because they went after her with and ended up, you know, dragging her out and you could fully see what was going on. And, but they, yeah, they, they swarmed her and it's like, you know, she didn't seem like much of a threat, but <laughs> they, they got to do their job, I guess. But right. Yeah. I've noticed uh, there as well. And I think it ramped up even more after uh, 2013, after the, the bombing. But going back to 2007, so the 2007, the start time was rolled back from noon to 10 a.m. And so how did you typically get to Hopkinton in the morning of the marathon? Did, did you take the Harriers bus? Well, sometimes, I, some years they take the Harriers bus. I have a family that lives in Upton, which isn't too far from Hopkinton. I stayed with them a couple of years. And sometimes we'd stay in a hotel in Boston and take take you know, the, the shuttle buses in or somebody would, you know, give me a ride if something, you know, depends. Every year was a little different, but, you know, I did ride the uh, provided transportation number of years. And that was always kind of interesting because everybody, you know, the excitement and everything of riding to the, the starting line was always, you know, for especially the first timers, they were so nervous and everything. And, you know, I was kind of like old hat and I just wanted to, you know, get it done and, <laughs> get to the and have a cold beer or something. But, 
It was yeah, good. Um, I did in 2016. I, I stayed over in Cambridge and, and rode the bus from Boston Common to Hopkinton. And that was quite an experience. Um, but yeah, memorable for sure. You know, yeah. you, meet, you meet a lot of people from all over the world. And that's that's what's really kind of cool. Right, right. Uh, although I did like the, the Harry's bus. Uh, I picked it up in West Springfield. and yeah, That's very convenient. I've used it a bunch of times. And yeah. Yeah, yeah or the, Griff, the Griffin's friends bus too. They had, they had a pretty good setup. Yeah, yeah. I, I never rode in with them, but I, I ran with some of those folks uh, one of the years. But, um, but anyway, so moving on in 2012, it was one of the hottest marathons. The temperature that day was ni almost 90 degrees. And so that was the only year that I know of where uh, they offered deferments due to the weather. If you received your bib but didn't want to run you because of the weather that they, they um, allowed you to defer it to the following year and in fact 2,000 people you know, took advantage of that um, so any memories from running in the heat that year oh the heat was awful oh my god you could feel it just coming off the pavement your your bottoms of your shoes felt like they were going to melt especially after running you know in the sun all day and basically cooked and yeah it wasn't probably one of my best times and uh, I think that's a year that Sonia ran with me, if I remember right. Uh, she could verify that if she was here somewhere. Uh, okay, is that it? Yeah, that was the year. I ended up, uh, I was on pace up to about mile eight. And then, uh, you know, running through Framingham, ironically, and uh, the sun was just beating down on me. I said, no, nah, this is going to kill me. I, I ended up backing off and just uh, slowing to a, a jog and a walk going up the hills and you know it took me I think it was 520 or so I finished in that year but uh, Sonia was doing a lot better than I was and she actually was waiting for me uh, I guess at points and I was just walking and talking with people along the way because a lot of people chose to walk but she had to she came back and looked for me and couldn't find me anywhere so it was kind of we got kind of separated there but yeah I was quite a ways behind her because I think you finished in about a little over four hours I think so yeah I was like an hour and 20 minutes at least behind her so. <laughs> but I, I personally think women run better in the heat that might be just me but it seems like they do well there's a, been a lot more women runners in recent years um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me but um, uh, the field size uh, yeah in, in the, the last race in 2019, where they had 30,000 runners start. And out of that 30,000, there were 16,000 male runners and 14,000 female runners. So split was actually very different back, even, even when you ran in, in, yeah. in 97, your first race, you know, where it's like 10,000 runners out of that 10,000, maybe I think the split was like 8,000 male and 2,000 female, something like that. So uh, big difference over the years. Uh, good to see. Um, so, so then moving on in, in the chronology in 2013, of course, was the year of the marathon bombing. So the bombs were detonated near the finish line at, at 2.49 p.m., killing three people, injuring hundreds of others, and including 17 who had lost their limbs. But you had completed the course by then. Um, any particular memories from, from that event? Oh, yeah, a lot of memories that, you know, I, I could go on with a, a story that would 
take up the whole podcast, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. But basically, Sonia was uh, down by the Heinz, and you know the bombs went off, and she was going towards the, the finish line because we were supposed to meet there. I had about half a dozen people that were supporting me that day, and you know some of them were right near the finish line. My uh, now sister-in-law and her boyfriend were right at the, the finish line and she's a nurse and he's a retired police officer and they were helping out uh, with first aid immediately right at the finish line and they're actually in some of the pictures that you see during the carnage at the finish line but I was luckily I, I beat the bomb by 17 minutes I believe something like that but I was at the rattlesnake lounge sitting at the bar having a beer watching everything on tv I didn't even hear the bomb. It's two blocks down, but all of a sudden people are coming in, they're crying and everything. And you now that's where a lot of the Griffin's friends, people would meet and a lot of my friends would meet there. And that's where everybody was going to meet. But I said, uh, you know, I looked at what was going on and when I realized it was actually, you know, bombs going off, uh, I said, well, you know, I thought first thought was to go out the door and try and find people. But then I realized that my best play was to just stay put and let them come to me. And then, you know, when the dust settles, literally if people don't show up, we'll go find them. But uh, that's what we ended up doing. And luckily Sonia came in uh, not too long after with her friend, Stephanie, and she, she came in that ironically, the bouncer wanted to charge her the 10 bucks to get in the door, even after the bombing. And she's like, I'm not paying that. And she just went past them and stormed in. And she, I could see her, I, walked, I could see the door. And she's looking around for me and her friend Stephanie saw me first sitting at the bar and big smile on her face. And, you know, they came over and, you know, big sigh of relief. And luckily they were there. And uh, it was ours because, as you know, the cell phones all pretty much were crashing. Mine still kind of worked. Um, probably, you know, for whatever reason, could have been work related. But uh, I was able to communicate with some people and I was getting a lot of texts from uh, kids that I had coached and because uh, I coached cross country in high school for 15 years and a lot of kids were texting me from all over the world and uh, just to find out if I was okay because they all knew I ran so it was it was uh, and yeah, I was kind of crazy at that that time period but uh, we didn't see our family or sister or anything for hours later because we couldn't get out of the city because uh, at the time Sonia lived in Malden and we normally would ride the T, the orange line up to Malden and we couldn't even get to the T at that point. And we tried to find a cab, the cabs weren't running, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going around that day that uh, you know, I, could, I could talk about for hours. And, yeah. But it, the whole thing was tragic and I'm, I'm, I'm glad everything, everybody I knew made out okay. Yeah, such a, a sad and, and terrible event. Um, so, so moving on, uh, in t your final Boston Marathon was 2017, which is ironically the last year I ran it as well. So we picked a good year to stop because in 2018, the marathon ex had experienced some of the worst weather in race history. They had driving rain and strong ones. I remember being at work that day and thinking, you know, I'm glad I didn't run the marathon that year. Um, but so how did it feel not running after 21 consecutive years? Well, because of the injuries to my feet, the plantar fasciitis and everything that was, you know, I wasn't really good shape to run my last one, but I did it anyways, because 
my family, my both my daughters were there to support me and my son-in-laws. And my daughter and son-in-law from Colorado came out just for the race to, to watch and support me. And, you know, I kind of said, this is probably going to be my retirement, but uh, which it, you know, so far it has been, you know, uh, I'm not a professional ball player, so I, I haven't come out of retirement yet. So. But uh, yeah, that was probably one of the most memorable years because of my family being there. And I always seemed to perform better uh, when the family showed up. You know, I always appreciated their support. And uh, I had a lot of, a lot of Sonia's friends and a lot of, a lot of friends that have supported me over the years. But that, that year was, uh, you know, because of them being there, I think was, was one of the best. I'll never forget that, but I didn't break any records that, that year I finished, but uh, you know, as, as far as the weather goes, getting back to that, uh, I tend to run better on 50 degree rainy days. And that's, that's always kind of been my thing. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. So I ran three times, 2015, 16 and 17. So my best was my first one, 2015. And on that day it was, Temperature was 46 degrees, a little rainy. And that was like, for me, perfect. <laughs> because then 16 and 17, it was, you know, it was over 70 degrees. So, and I don't do as well in, in warmer yeah. weather. I'm thrilled. You know, it's not because of the COVID situation, but because they actually have the Boston Marathon scheduled for the fall this year. And I'm really bummed I don't get to run. Because naturally, I think most people run better in the fall because... You know, you have all all nice weather to train in, and, and the fall tends to be a little cooler. Especially October is a good, great month to run. That's my, I ran Clarence tomorrow was my PR race back in New Hampshire years ago, where I did a did a 308, and I was like, I could have, I was upset with myself because I felt so good I could have run faster, and you know, but the weather was perfect, nice and cool, and 308 is an amazing time, something to be proud of. So over and above everything else we've talked about, um, any other memories of the Boston Marathon that stand out? I used to see, you know, Rick and Dick Hoyt at the races in Western Mass and, you know, the Westfield area. And, and you know, they, back then in those days, that was, you know, the early days of my career. But, uh, you know, I was always kind of interested to see them go by me because he, he didn't look like that fast of a guy. But... Yeah, they were moving pretty good, and especially on the downhills, I think. Yeah. He had a pretty good advantage, I think, with gravity, but uh, he ran some pretty tremendous times back then. And early on in the marathons, I would see him going by me with Ricky, you know, just kept going by me. And it's like, you know, well, there he goes. Like every year, there he goes, there he goes. And towards his later years, and then, you know, I got, I got a little faster, he got a little slower, and, you know, but. Pretty much every year I would see him, you know, one way or another, but always kind of an inspiration to see him and his son, you know, run the race. And Absolutely. Some, yeah, some days, you know, especially the hot days, I kind of felt bad because I, I know how much I was hurting. And to see him pushing Ricky, he had to be, because, you know, he's quite a bit older than I was. And, you know, that's just, that's yeah, something man, else. To, man, I don't know how many times he ran Boston, but he... Um... He, he, it was like 30, 30 some odd. I guess. Yeah, I was looking at his stats the other day and his, um, like, whether it was marathons, ultra marathons, Ironman, Ironman, 
Like it, it's insane. Like you have to look it up. It's crazy. Yeah, and he's you know? just like a regular guy from Western Mass, kinda. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think he was originally from Westfield, I think. And yeah, well, he was. Or... He was in the Air Guard, I think, at Barnes. Yeah. If and I then, remember right. Well, he lived in Holland. I saw him at the Holyoke St. Patty's Day race one year. Anyway, do you have any other memories of running the Boston Marathon? Well, for years, I was always looking for the Johnny Kelly statue. And, you know, Mike Sheldon always posted pictures of it. And there, it's like, you know, I've run the thing for like 15 years and I never saw the darn statue. And it's like, really, it's, you know, I finally figured out where the heck it was. But uh, one year I went to look for it and they had some kind of food cart parked in front of it. So you could barely see the thing. And... Uh, with all the crowds though also right it's it's yeah, well it is raised up a little bit but yeah you know, they had this food truck right in front of it so it's kind of like oh that's kind of did, did you ever go the, three weeks before the marathon there's it's a big tra day for training people run the actual course I don't, did you yeah, ever the go crude, the crude run i'm sorry the, the crude run yes yes yeah, yeah i did the crude run we had a great time with that and yeah, i ran with uh uh, friend Mike Sheldon and his friends from the Dead Runner Society. You know, they would they would always put that on every year, and you know, they come up sometimes for the weekend and go out to dinner the day before, and uh, you know, afterwards. And yeah, it was always, that was always a good time meeting up with those people. But, I ran the crude run with some Griffin's friends, folks, and and we we stopped and posed for a picture by the Johnny Kelly statue. Yeah, well, that's. <laughs> But you I, guys knew where it was, at least. Yeah. Well, during the race, I, I of course, I you couldn't see it. I, uh, I'm just, I was focused on the race, so uh, probably would have never noticed it if somebody didn't point it out to me. If, and, I, if it, I can add a couple things. Sure. Wayback machine. So uh, when I first started uh, running marathons back, we didn't have gels, you know. So what we did for nutrition was uh, generally power bars. And if you try to eat a, if you ever tried to eat a power bar when you're running, it's pretty difficult. But you know, some people used to cut them, try and cut them up. And you need like a hacksaw to cut them up in little pieces and try and take little bites of them. But a lot of times I'd use like Jolly Ranchers or just something to get some sugar in or something. But uh, the, the invention of the, the gels was, I think, a big step forward as far as nutrition goes because they they moved me to a different level, absolutely. And uh, it's like the newer running shoes are much better than what we used to run in were basically just hard rubber soles and not much cushioning and everything. So things have come a long way. So if some things are easier, yeah, the, you know, the advances in the, in the running science are probably beneficial to people now where they can run better and run better times. You mentioned trying to eat a power bar. I it was during the Marine Corps marathon. And I think it was around mile 24. They were giving out Dunkin' Donut, Dunkin' Munchkins. So I thought, gee, maybe I'll have a Munchkin. And I grabbed one and, and I, that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't swallow it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you gotta take the glazed out. ones. Well, they were glazed. It was a chocolate glazed Munchkin, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't put it down. But, but anyway. Um, was there a, I don't know, favorite part of the course that, uh, of the, the marathon course? Boston course specifically? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, the finish line was always great, you know, and it, as soon as he crossed that finish line, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. I just reminded that, yeah, in recent years, uh, about a mile before the finish where the Pizzeria Uno is, and that's, what is that, Kenmore Square? Uh, yes. Sonia would wait there, and then a bunch of people would come out of the Red Sox games, and, you know, I actually I got a kiss a mile before the finish, which kind of, you know, it took a little bit out of my time to slow me down a little bit, but I think it, in the end, it probably made me run a little faster. But uh, yeah, that was that was that was a boost there for it's me. It's special to have family and friends supporting you. Yeah, but, well, get kissed by a pretty girl doesn't hurt either. Yeah. Right. So that means you didn't stop at uh, at the scream tunnel then. Uh, in the earlier years, yeah, I'd, I'd stop by. I never kissed anybody because I was. I'm sorry, but I was just kind of creeped out about kissing strange girls, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I would stop. The Hash House Harriers and a few other groups would give out beer along the course. And yeah, I typically would partake in a cup or two of beer on occasion, especially on the, the warm days where I wasn't going to break any records. It's like a godsend because it's usually icy cold and yeah, a lot to be said for those people. I first saw them at the Vermont City Marathon years ago. But, uh, I'm not familiar uh, with them. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. The oh, Hash yeah. House Hash, Harriers? Hash House Harriers, yeah, excellent organization. Okay, awesome. So so how are you running today? Uh, not too bad. I basically, I started on New Year's Day. I tried to do a, a streak thing. And I think I went 10 days and then my back acted up and I was kind of doubled over. So I said, well, I had to take a couple of weeks off and kind of, you know, start walking straight again. And, uh, but the running wise was going, okay, I'm doing, you know, probably every other day, sometimes two days in a row, but usually only, you know, maybe 14, 15 miles a week tops at this point. But, uh, I'm still running around eh, probably eight minute pace or so. So not too, too bad. I'm pretty happy with that. It's shorter, shorter distance probably than you though. Yeah. Well, I'm just getting back in the running. I had to take a couple of months off for, I had some minor surgery, but I'm recovered from that now and uh, back running. So uh, anyway, well, Craig, Hey, this has been great. Uh, it's great to get your perspective on the Boston marathon and, and, um, I, uh, I register, well, um, I have a qualifying time. I'm going to try and register and hope that I get in. How, how far are you uh, away from I, the time? I, uh, 11 minutes and 46 seconds. So, so I have a good buffer, except that it's... Okay. Um, I, heard, I heard it was 12 minutes. Well, they haven't announced that yet. So it's, uh, if it was 12 minutes, I would just be, just missed it. But yeah. they're capping it at 20,000 runners. So I think everyone registers and, and then they take essentially the, you know, the, the they normalize the, the everyone's qualifying time and um, figure out what the buffer is. Yeah, things, so. things are a lot different in that respect. There's so many more people running now. Yeah. You know, back when there was 10,000, basically, if you qualified, you got in. Just yeah, that's money. been quite a source of frustration for people in recent years, you know, where people, they... They get a BQ time and, and then they sadly learn that that wasn't good enough to get in. So at least they're upfront about it now. And um, um, I would just have to, I have my fingers crossed. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, 
if you can keep it going, if you can get 10 years consecutive, you can get the, the streak going, you can become a streaker, and then you get the preferential treatment as far as uh, signing up. Well, you had that. It must have hurt you. To, you were very close to the quarter century club. Yeah, well, I was trying to chase Bill Romito down because I figure he's got to stop eventually and maybe I could catch up to him. Yes, Bill's always been kind of one of my competitors. I, it, it's hard to keep up with him. though. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. He, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. he ran the virtual one last year, a bunch of loops around Look Park in Northampton. Mind-numbing to me, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, well... Hey, well, thanks for joining me on the Let's Run podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective. Hope I didn't talk your ear off too much. No, no, you were great. Um, I'll uh, see you around, hopefully to see you at Ashley Reservoir soon. Yeah, I'm hoping soon, if, if work, work permits. Right. All right. Take care. All right, Tim. Thanks a lot. Now for local running news and events. In the Pioneer Valley, there are now time trials every evening from Monday through Thursday, hosted by the local running clubs. The format is essentially the same for all of these. You show up, register, run, and time the course on your own, and then submit your time where you're registered. Results will be posted on the corresponding running club website. Make sure to wear a face mask and practice social distancing when checking in and submitting your time. So I'll go through a rundown of the time trials. On Monday evenings at Stanley Park in Westfield, the Empire One Running Club hosts three mile time trials. Check in at the small gazebo at Stanley Park. Run on your own between 5.30 and 7 p.m. On Tuesday evenings, the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts time trials on their 5K cross country course. Register on Burt's Pitts Road in Northampton. Run on your own between 5.30 and 7. On Wednesday evenings, the Greater Springfield Harriers host their Summer Sizzler Race Series at Forest Park. These races will be a time trial format and alternate each week between an on-road 8K and a cross-country 5K route. The event on Wednesday, April 21st, will be on the 8K road route. Register between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m., near the Walker Grandstand across from the basketball courts. Again, the Harriers time trials are on Wednesday evening, although the Harriers had a special Monday night event on Monday, April 19th to celebrate Everett Barney Day. Back in 1890, Everett Barney donated 178 acres to the city of Springfield, which is now Forest Park. And on Thursday evenings, the Empire One Running Club hosts 5K time trials at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. Check in under the canopy in front of the Holyoke Elks, then run the 5K course in your own, and then submit your time. Do this between 5.30 and 7.30 p.m. And the Elks is open for pre and post race activities. Also, there is still time to sign up for the four run three 5K and 10K training group. The group meets at the four run three store in East Longmeadow on Thursdays at 6 p.m and on Sundays at 9 a.m. The group started on April 8th and 70 folks have already enrolled, but you can still sign up until Thursday, April 22nd. And Jill and Tim Murphy are planning a graduation race on either June 12th or 13th. So other local events that I found by looking on the Harriers website as well as on Running in the USA were as follows. 
On Saturday, April 24th, the fourth annual virtual Red Shoe 5K Run and Walk in Springfields. Proceeds will benefit the Ronald McDonald House of Springfield. Also on Saturday, April 24th, the 10th annual McDuffie Run for Hope 5K in Granby, Mass. On Sunday, April 25th, the virtual daffodil run for big brothers and big sisters in Amherst. And on Sunday, May 2nd, the Western Mass Mother's Day Half Marathon and 5K, a benefit for Cancer Connection in Waitley. The Healthy Kids Running Series for children in grades pre-K through eighth grade runs for five weeks and starts on May 2nd in Hamden. And if you're interested in obstacle courses, the Hesco Bonefrog New England event takes place on Saturday, May 15th at Berkshire East Ski Area in Charlemont. Bonefrog is the only Navy SEAL obstacle course race. I just saw that the Happy Valley Half Marathon and 5K, originally scheduled for Sunday, May 16th, has been postponed to Sunday, October 17th. On Sunday, May 16th, the 7th Annual Celebrate Kate 5K in Springfield. Then on Thursday, the May 20th, the Old Colony Marathon and Half Marathon at Stanley Park in Westfield. Talked about this last time. And then on Saturday, May 22nd, the Ren Westfield Flat and Fast 5K. As always, check the websites for details. I believe most of these are virtual events. So at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that Jeffrey Oldmixon from the Empire One Running Club had sent me some information on the Run 169 Towns Society, also known as DEBTICON, or DEBTICON, which stands for Do Every Blessed Town in Connecticut. This is a group of runners who aspire to run a race in every town in the state of Connecticut. I checked out their website, and there's a link to a spreadsheet where runners keep count of how many towns they have ran an official race in. No one has actually run an official race in all 169 towns, but there are six runners who have knocked off 168 towns. Anyway, this website also has an upcoming race listing for all events in Connecticut. The next upcoming race in Connecticut that's close to Western Mass is the Cinco K Mayo 5K in Enfield on Saturday, May 1st. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the Berkshire Running Center and the steel rail races. There was a press release this week about new partnerships. The Berkshire Running Center have partnered with Mountain One Bank, the city of Pittsfield, and the Boston Bulldogs Running Club, and have announced some changes to their events. The steel rail event will now be known as the Mountain One Steel Rail Race, and that will include an 8K, a half marathon, and now a full marathon. This year's race is scheduled for October 3rd, and they're still working out the course details. This year's marathon will be some version of an out and back event along the rail trail between Lanesboro and Adams. However, the plan for 2022 and beyond is for all of the races to finish in downtown Pittsfield with the goal of attracting a larger field. It is expected that the Ashuwillow-to-Cook rail trail expansion from Lanesboro to Pittsfield will be completed in time for the May 2022 Mountain One Steel Rail Marathon. I also want to mention that the mission of the Boston Bulldogs Running Club is to provide an anonymous and safe community of support for all those adversely affected by addiction, including those in recovery, their families and friends, 
the clinical community, and the community at large. With this new partnership, the Boston Bulldogs will have a chapter in Pittsfield and hope to host weekly group runs in the Pittsfield and Berkshire County area. So thank you for listening to the Let's Run Western Mass Running podcast. I'm super excited to tell you that my guest for, next, for the next podcast will be legendary runner Bill Rogers, along with Joe Martino. I've already recorded this and we'll be releasing it during the week of April 26th. So if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, happy running.